Um, so praise the Lord for that. All right, we are in a, um, a series in Romans, and so today is Romans chapter 4, and I just entitled it The Faith Factor. I mean, you know, faith's a, a good idea in the, in the kingdom of God. Uh, this, it, it's like the, the, the air we breathe in the kingdom of God. It's the, it's the currency of heaven. And so, um, so we're going to talk about this really in relationship to salvation today. In fact, here's the, here's the main thought. Faith is required for salvation. And so by default, faith is how we become righteous. Faith is required for salvation. So by default, it's how we become righteous. In other words, um, the Lord's not looking for an intellectual transaction. Uh, there were people in the Bible that absolutely knew the truth and absolutely went to hell. Okay, so we're not just getting a, like a yes, a yes, no, um, I, I know the right answer. There's this, when, when the Bible talks about knowing Jesus, it was always a relational no. It was, it was a koinonia, um, uh, that, that type of, no, that you get, that's a Greek word for intimate fellowship. There was a intimate knowledge of Jesus, and that's why in, in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus told a bunch of people, depart from me because I never, what? I never knew you. They said, well, what? We, we prophesied in your name. We, we healed the sick in your name. We cast out demons in your name. I mean, how many know you'd want them on your prayer altar ministry team? Yeah? I mean, they, they were, there, there, was, there was results in their life, more than some of us have even experienced, and yet there wasn't the intimate knowledge of Jesus So there's this, uh, there's, there's this aspect of faith. It's really how we become righteous. I want to talk about faith for a minute, and then we'll, we'll dive into Romans 4. Um, probably the, the chapter par excellence on faith, if, if you've been around church at all, it would be um, Hebrews chapter 11. And there's some really, really, really good definitions of faith as we read through that. Hebrews, the, the very uh, um, first verse in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 says this, out of the NIV, says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I, so I, I like the way it, it's read there. I, I preach a lot out of the NIV just because it's easy to, easier to understand, but it's confidence. How many know it's, it's a, it would be a good idea to be confident in the Lord. We, we don't want to just, ah, I don't know. So confidence, there's this, there's this sense that, that I, I know that I know that I know when you're confident, there's no, there's no wavering. There's, the next part, assurance. If you've ever been assured about something, you might not have it yet, but you are assured. Uh, you know, someone says the, the check is in the mail. I assure you the check is in the mail. You, you're like, okay, I, I, I take you up on that. There's, there's this assurance that you, there's a confidence and an assurance that it's coming. It's right there. I have it. I am, a, I'm assured. I, I'm not going to waver um, in, in belief because I know, I know that I know that I know that the check is on its way. And so there's an assurance about what we don't see. It's not, in fact, you might not have it in the natural, but you absolutely have it in the spirit. And that's not just a, you know, like a Christianese thing. To, to say, but, but listen, what, what happened, it happens first in the spirit and then in the natural. And so we're coming into agreement with what Paul would, would often say, it's actually more real in the spirit than it is in the natural. So faith is, I like what my dad used to say. My dad used to say faith is like having the, the title deed. 
In fact, watch the uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 in the New King James Version. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That faith actually has substance. It's not just this idea. It's not, a, it's not, not, not just a, a philosophical thing. There's actually substance to this thing. It's, it's more than hope. Hope is, is, is one of the things that we absolutely have to have. It's a kingdom principle, but faith goes a little bit further. It's a substance. It's like having the title deed to your house or to your car. You, you might not have it in your possession, but this, it's as good as in your possession. It's the title deed to it. I have it. I own it. It's mine. And it's that level of faith. It's more than just, I wish, I hope. It's, I know, I've got this. It's, it's almost as if it's right there because in the spirit it is, even though you don't see it maybe yet in the physical. I like what it says, the same verse in the Passion Translation. Watch this. Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Isn't that cool? So there's a, there's a difference between faith and hope. I like the definition of hope that says hope is the confident expectation that good is coming. How many like that kind of hope? The hope isn't just wishful thinking, but there's, uh, based on scripture, based on Jesus, based on, on the cross, like, like, because everything I know about the character of God, hope becomes the confident expectation that good is coming. Faith takes it a little bit step, a little step further. In fact, faith and hope go right together. But faith is, is more than just good is coming. It's more than just this kind of ambiguous thing out there. Faith is like, I know. I see it, not with my physical eyes, but with my spiritual eyes, eyes to see, ears to hear. Like I can, I can, I can almost see it. And so I come into agreement with what is not yet seen in the physical, but it's in the spirit. I hope that makes sense. So we go on just a few verses later in Hebrews, in Hebrews eleven six, 6, says this, and without faith, it's impossible. Say impossible impossible and this is where we're going to start to connect this to salvation because we we really have to understand that that this is more than an intellectual transaction this is why matthew 7 and those people that jesus said depart from me i never knew you this is why that is so true this is why they had to depart because without faith it is impossible to please god so if you're pleasing god at some level, you're walking in faith. And if, you, if you're struggling with faith in your life, at some level, that part of your faith isn't pleasing to God. It, I would just, I'd like to ask, I mean, has there, when was the last time you did anything supernatural? When was, when was the last time you, you did anything supernatural? Let me say it this way. When was the last time you did anything that required faith? When was the last time that you had to, you had to like, God, I just, I, I trust you. I just trust you. I just believe. I don't see it in the physical, but I, I trust you. I'm holding your hand here. It, it, I, I always get the picture of the Indiana Jones movie. Is it The Last Crusade? And he, and he steps out. On, he's like, oh, man, that would, that would freak me out. You know, you know what I'm talking about? He puts a little bit, like, there's nothing there. 
and he steps, and he's like, it's, it's, it's do or die, literally. When was the last time you, just even, even in your daily life, where you just had to say, Lord, I, I, just, I just give it to you. I just trust you, right? There, there's this aspect of faith. If we, if we aren't living by faith at some level, it might not be this, this, big, this big thing where we're seeing legs grow back or whatever, right? You're like, uh, that's gonna take, a, my faith muscle needs to grow a little bit more for that, right? Someone might say, yeah, but... But is there an aspect of your life? Is there anything in your daily, weekly, monthly life that requires faith? Because if your life does not require faith, can I just say that you're not pleasing God? And actually, I'm not saying it. Whoever wrote Hebrews said that. And this this verse... um, and without faith it's impossible to please God it goes on it says because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that's the starting place that's the starting place of faith that that we've got to at least come to and and this would this is a good starting place for anybody that doesn't know Jesus can we at least believe that God exists can we at least start there Uh, if you don't believe God exists we've got a whole journey to get to that place this is the start. You got to at least believe that God exists. But you go a step further and it says, and that he rewards those who passively seek him. Right? No, no, okay. My Bible scholar over here. No, that earnestly seek him, that passionately seek him, that diligently seek him. There are actually rewards in store for you to the level that you pursue God. Not only believing that he exists, but to the level that you pursue him. And this verse, out of context, could actually apply to any religion and, and faith out there, right? Because how many, how many know that there are some religions out there that they would say, we are passionately pursuing God, they're, I mean, they're, right, the suicide bombers and all of this, like, how many know that that's, if, if Christianity had passion, not to the extent of death, but to the extent of radical service to, to our God, like that, man, we'd be changing the world, right? So this verse, like, out of context, this isn't just, just believe in God. Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is actually an apologetic letter written to Jewish believers and the apologetic apologetic is just a it's a big word that just means it's a, it's a defense what, was, what were they defending here the book of Hebrews was defending the fact that Jesus is God and that he's our high priest it didn't make any sense to to a, a traditional Jewish mind that he would be our high priest because the high priest had to come from the tribe of Levi if, if, you, if you understand Old Testament and all that, the, the, the high, your priest, a priest comes from the tribe of Levi. For a Jewish mind, they think about Jesus and they're like, well, what tribe did Jesus come from? The tribe of Judah. And so this, wait, how can Jesus be my high priest? How can he, how can he fulfill all of this? How can he be God when, and, and Paul, or I, 
It might not be Paul. It's the author of Hebrews. We, you know, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. But the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, hey, guess what? Jesus absolutely is God. He absolutely is our high priest. And, and the, the reason is that you, you read on in Hebrews, he came from a different line. And, and we're not going to dive into this, but he came from the, the line of Melchizedek is what he says, which, which really is a supernatural line. Like he, he trumps the Levites is what the author basically says. And so when you read a verse like this in, in Hebrews 11.6, that, that uh, those who earnestly seek after God, that's not just any God, it's the one true God, and it's by faith through Jesus. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense to me. I just wanted to make sure you knew. This isn't just, like, this isn't all roads lead to heaven. This is, this is Jesus Christ is God, and we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Um, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of money. Like it, have some, would like some more. How many, how many know that, um, uh, like, like, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more, right? Right, there's never is enough. (laughs) Money, uh, you know, I I was, I was reminded as Nye was, uh, was sharing for, for offering that, um, man, that, that, Teach, teach me to give. <laughs> Even those of us that regularly give, don't you think every once in a while we need to just be retaught? Sometimes we get in a, in a even, even those of us that give regularly get into a rut of giving. It just becomes like a bill we pay. And I, I pray that those of you that, that aren't regular givers yet, that sometime it does become like a bill you pay. It becomes um, habitual like that. There's blessing on that. But there is this place where we need to say, Lord, all over again, would you teach me how to give? And what is that? Money is used all throughout Scripture. I think one of the reasons God emphasizes money throughout Scripture is because of this faith issue. It's like, what else? Money, possessions, what else do do we have to tangibly say, I trust you. I so trust you. I could, in in, in the natural, $100 goes this far and it can buy this much of stuff. And $90 is less than $100, right? I was pretty good at math. And in the spirit, it's like, well, 90 goes farther than 100 if we give, if we tithe. So I like money. Um, I don't know know tons about numbers. I know a little bit. As I became the the lead pastor here, I had to get to know accounting um, at a whole another level. Now, I'll, I will be honest, one of my, one of my first uh, um, decisions as, as the lead pastor at this church was somebody else has to be the chair of the finance committee, <laughs> right? How many know that's wisdom? When I got, when I, when I got married, uh, my, my uncle was, was doing our premarital counseling, and, and we got to the financial part, and he just said, so Becky's going to be handling the finances? And, and we said, yeah, I think so. He said, good, moving him right along, right? <laughs> I've learned a lot about, about money over the years, being married to Becky and then being involved and Sharon's the chair of our finance committee. I've lear- I, I feel like I've grown in, in that area quite a bit, understanding reports and all of this stuff. Um, but w- one thing, that, let me just, just give you just a real quick lesson. I know you don't want to learn a whole lot from me about money and, and accounting, but, but here, let me just give you one quick lesson. Um, credits are better than debits, right? You want to have more credits than debits, would, would, you agree, would you agree with that? You want to have more coming in than you have going out. So credits are super positive. You want 
in your account, you, it is great when it says, hey, you have been credited a whole lot more. Would you guys agree with me? All right, all right. So, so that's just, that's like just basic accounting, and I just, I hope that you learned something right there. Let's, uh, I want to move into Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, uh, starting verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? And remember, we were talking last week in Romans chapter 3, we are talking about righteousness. The, um, Romans 3 was where we get, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we, we said that, that last week that that chapter is kind of the equalizer of our faith, that for all have sinned but God, right? And, and so, we, so we, we read this, and it comes in, verse 2, it says, in, in, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was what? Credited to him as righteousness. In other words, because he believed God, righteousness was added to his account. That's a good thing. It was credited. It wasn't debited. It was credited. Because he believed God, righteousness was added. How many know that, that it, it wasn't his works? It wasn't all of these other, it wasn't any other, any other way that he, that he became righteous other than it says he believed God. And he became righteous. Now, to the one who works, wages are, are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. I like it how it says it in the, in the Passion Translation, starting in verse 3. It says this, listen to what the scriptures say. Because Abraham believed God's word, his faith transferred God's righteousness into his account. When people work, they earn wages. It can't be considered a free gift because they earned it. But no one earns God's righteousness. It can only be transferred when we no longer rely on our own works, but believe in the one who powerfully declares the ungodly to be righteous in his eyes. It is faith that transfers God's righteousness into your account. Oh. Isn't that powerful? Let me maybe help clarify this a little bit. And again, last week we talked about ditches on either side of the road and, and, and we could have this sloppy grace and we can have this works mentality and we, and we don't want to live, live on, on either side, right? Amen? Amen? So, uh, but let me, let me just try to help. Righteousness last week we talked about is a, is a legal term. Right standing before God. If you were in a court of law and he declares you righteous legally, you are righteous before God. Righteousness, right standing before God is different than right relationship with God. This is how I, this is how I put it. There are times uh, in, like in marriage where you could be legally married but not in right relationship. <laughs> you, could be, you could be filing jointly on your taxes and living in two separate cities or two separate houses, right? Like there are things like where you are legally bound in, in marriage but absolutely not in right relationship. And I would say, you take that too long, not in right relationship, and eventually, depending on your theology here, I think that, that somebody can walk away from God. 
Someone can choose. Now, the, the, the Bible is clear on the fact that, that uh, the devil can't take your salvation and God's not going to take it back and all of this stuff. But there may be. Wrestle with Scripture. There may be. This is kind of what I talk about, that danger zone with salvation where, where we, really, we really don't know. And I would rather know than not know and not live in this danger. This is, I think at some level, we can decide, hey, I give it back. If I can freely receive the gift, at some level I can freely give it back. I don't want to live in that place. How many would like say, hey, that's a bad place to live in? I would just encourage you to, to wrestle with those thoughts. But, so righteousness is legally, I'm right standing before God. But you could also not be in right relationship. And part of not being in right relationship is, is you, we, we look and we see the fruit in somebody's life and we're, they're not living right. They're not doing the, the things that God's called them to do. And in the Old Testament, it was called the law and there's all of these rules. How many have ever heard of like the Ten Commandments? Those are pretty good to, to look at. And, and so if, if our life is not pleasing to God, at some level we look, okay, relationship's broken. Someone might be legally right but relationally wrong. Today, I'm talking about being legally right, but I want you to understand relationship here is, is the key. You don't just have an intellectual transaction and, and get saved. It, it, this is all about a heart connection with Jesus. I, I've told you this before. I think that the, someday we'll get to heaven. There'll, be, there'll probably be pastors that, that were like, wait a minute, they didn't make it. I think there's going to be religious leaders and pastors and people. That, I think there's going to be people in heaven who are like, how'd you get here? There's this, there's, there's this whole place that we're, as we wrestle through theology and all this stuff, someday we're going we're gonna to know clearly. This, uh, the verse goes on in verse, verse 10. We skip ahead to verse 10. It says, under what circumstances was it credited? Righteousness. Under what circumstances was righteousness credited to Abraham? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It, it was not after, but before. And this was a big deal. Circumcision was part of the law that God instituted for him. And, and he was, he was uh, uh, credited righteousness was credited to his account before he was circumcised and we'll go on and we'll realize that circumcision became a sign of his righteousness in other words the works the good works that you do become a sign of the fact that you're righteous you don't become righteous because you do good works and he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited, might be added to their account. We, we've talked before, if you're brand new with us today with this series, is uh, um, Paul's writing to a, to a church in Rome that has both... Um, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And so he's trying to lay down some things that, that yeah, we, we've got the law that needs to be followed, but you don't follow the law to become saved and to become righteous. And he's like, so there are Gentiles who believed by faith and are, and are called righteous, and there are Jews that believe by faith and are called righteous. And he's like, we're both. We're, we're both grafted into the same vine that's one new man, and that's where, that's where Paul's coming from. So then he's the father of all who believe, 
but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. I like how it says it in the Passion. It says, how did he receive this gift of righteousness? Was he circumcised at the time God accepted him or was he still uncircumcised? Clearly he was an uncircumcised Gentile when God said this of him. It was the latter, oh I'm sorry, it was later that he received the external sign of circumcision as a seal to confirm that God had already transferred his righteousness to him by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So now this qualifies him to become the father of all who believe among the non-Jewish people. And like their father of faith, Abraham, God also transfers his righteousness to them by faith. The scripture goes on in verse 16. This is when we start to get to some of my favorite parts of Romans chapter 4. Verse 16 says, Therefore the promise comes by how? And what's this promise? Well, well, for Abraham, it was to be the father of many nations. It was that they would have a child in their old age. And if you remember, Abraham was, was pushing 100 and, and Sarah was pushing 90. And how many know that that's not the, the ripe old age of, of childbearing? Right? And, and, uh, and so, so he was believing by faith. God said it would happen and he believed by faith. And it was this, this uh, story this act of faith, the Bible says that God credited righteousness. But Paul's taking that and he's also saying, hey, there's a, even a greater promise. How many know what the promise is here? Grace, Jesus. The promise of salvation that Jesus would come. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have uh, the faith of Abraham. In other words, Jews and Gentiles. He is the father of us all. He's talking about Jesus, the Savior of the world, as the promise. Verse 17, watch this. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, watch this, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. I think some of us even need this this morning. This verse. He gives life. How many just need the giver of life to activate something in your life today? This was what Abraham believed. This is part of how it was credited righteousness is he believed this God that actively gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. He gives life he activates things that are dormant. He speaks into existence things that aren't active. He, he speaks identity. He tells you who you really are. I, I love this thought in this verse that some of us this morning need the God of the universe to, to speak who we really are into us, that we've been believing lies, that we've been believing this, that, and the other thing about who we are, and he calls things that are not as though they are. He calls that front and center. He says, he says that's not who you, who you are. The way you've been living, that's not who you are. You are this, and he calls that front and center. He calls what's not as though it, as though it is. I, I love that about God. Some of you have, even though you're existing, you're actually uh, dead. You're living a life that's just, it's not full of life. Jesus said, I came to, that you may have life and have it to the fullest, and, and that's not what your life looks like. And so 
Abraham serves a God that gives life to the dead. How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but that would be a good idea for you. That the God that Abraham believed in, that he would actually breathe life over you and your family and your circumstances. You know, the truth is, is that the enemy also calls into being things that are not as well. Man, when I was reading this, I saw the other side. And not only does, does God call front and center things that are not in, in the positive sense and, and looks at that and says, this is who you really are. Man, the enemy does the same thing. And he, he, says, he says, no, this is who you really are. And he calls those other things front and center. And you've got these two voices. That, I mean, gosh, it might be the, the classic, you know, angel and demon on the shoulders. I don't know. But, it's a, but listen, what it is is two voices. And to the degree that you listen to those voices will be the degree that you become what those voices desire you to be. I love this place in Scripture because there is power in that voice that's speaking over your life. And the, the, the only way that that voice, whatever voice, if it's God's voice or the enemy's voice, the only way, way that that voice has power in your life is to the degree that you come into agreement with it. I suggest you come into agreement with the voice of the Lord and his ideas over your life, that the best is yet to come, that the, that the latter years are greater than the former years, that it's not too late, that no matter what you've done, right now is a good time to restart, right? The lies of the enemy are gonna say, man, you're 80 years old and you never fulfilled and, and, and it's over and you might as well just start waiting and the truth of God is, hey, I used Moses at 80 years old to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Come on, right? What voice are you living, are you, are you believing and, and living for? I, I suggest this, that, that maybe Romans chapter 4, verse 17, maybe this is why you came to church today, is that, is that as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed this about God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so your offspring shall, or so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, what? Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That's the type of faith that we're talking about. It's an active faith. It's not just an intellectual transaction. I also want to just make a comment. If you've ever read the story of Abraham, you know that in the natural, like his faith actually did waver. Like, not to contra- contradict Scripture here, but uh, there's another place in Scripture that talks about how, oh, we got Ishmael. <laughs> and and they, they, they try they in their own strength to, uh, to fulfill the promises of God. And, and, and how many know that there were a couple different times in Genesis when Abraham and Sarah both said, God, uh, this is sure taking a long time. I, I'm just, how many know that, that, that at least in the natural, it looked like maybe their faith wavered as well. Do you know what I, th- I think about that? I think that's good news for us. 
I think it's good news that we're not just looking at a spiritual giant that never had one day of questioning. <laughs> that we're, we're looking at a spiritual giant where Paul looks back and says, man, he never even wavered, even though he kind of did. It's like he never, he, like it was, it was sure, even though it, sometimes it wasn't. Like, because, because that's good news for you and me, Kay. That you can, you can have those moments of like, man, I don't see it. <laughs> I'm just, I just don't see it. And where the, the whisper of the Lord says, can you flex your faith muscles today a little bit? Could you expand your tent stakes just a little bit? Like, man, right? And you can grow in faith in this journey. Man, there was like 15 years, I think, between, I, I think it was 15, that may, be, that may be low, between the time that he got the promise and the time that, that, that Isaac came. Man, how many know that's a long time to wait for the promise? And I just release eyes to see and ears to hear over us this morning. That there would be a greater level of faith, that we would exercise that faith muscle, that even when there's moments of doubt, and I'm telling you that, that, that the moments of doubt will come, that there's going to be a voice of the enemy, but when that comes, you, say, you just say, no. <laughs> Man, I, I choose to believe. I choose to press into what I don't see in the natural because the, the spirit is more real than, than what I see in the natural. I choose to believe that voice. Oh, man, if we live that way. I think breakthrough is around the corner to the degree that we exercise that faith muscle. I love that it was this concept of without weakening in his faith, without wavering, being fully persuaded, that those types, that was what credited to him righteousness that was how righteousness was added to his account it goes on verse 22 it actually says this this is why it was credited to him as righteousness the words that was credited to him were not written for him alone how many know this is a good idea for us in this room but also for us to whom god will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We've, I, we've shared this in here and Pastor Greg years ago when, when he was pastoring this had shared this story and, and so I, he stole it from somebody and I stole it from him and, and so it's okay. And, and the more that you're a senior pastor you repeat stories and... Uh, so, so if you're a guest, this is brand new. <laughs> Years ago, there was a, uh, um, uh, like a daredevil, and he, uh, um, he, wanted, he, he did these tightrope walking across the Niagara Falls. And, and this, this uh, I mean, how, how many know, man, that's crazy, right? And tightrope walking across Niagara Falls, and he'd draw crowds, and they would cheer, and I mean that's uh, that's awesome. I, I'd want to watch it. We want to watch it like like we want to watch NASCAR, right? Because how many know you watch NASCAR for for the crashes, <laughs> not the laps, <laughs> unless you like to sleep on Sunday afternoons. And and so he would do this. He would do this tightrope walking, and then um, uh, he would he would kind of up the ante a little bit, and he he started using a wheelbarrow, and and he would he would take a, a wheelbarrow across the tightrope and. And, and he'd come back. He'd ask the crowd, do you think I could do this? And they'd say, yes, we think you can do this. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh. You know? and, and I think that's a pagan sign. I don't know what that is. Um, so just, just X that out of the video if you can. And you take this 
the wheelbarrow, he comes back, one of these times he says, he says, uh, how many of you believe that I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and go across this, this rope and come back? And everyone's like, yeah, I believe you could do this. They've seen him, they've seen him walk across. They've seen him do this. Like, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Everyone's wanting to see this. It's just like making headlines. And, and then he says, who, who would volunteer? Who, who would volunteer? And that's the place where we're getting to today. Because it's faith that's required for salvation. And by default, faith is required for righteousness. And really, what's that mean? It means trust. It means I trust you, God. I, I get in your wheelbarrow. Man, you're in his wheelbarrow and he's got it and he's walking across and you're just like, I'm not in control. How many like to be in control? <laughs> don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> and you're in his wheelbarrow. That's what it looks like every day. A life that says, I, I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my, my children. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my career. I trust you with my breath, with my, with my health, with with. Everything, that comes, everything that's bringing pressure, I, Lord, I'm in your wheelbarrow. Like, it's, not just a, it's not just a salvation where, where I get saved and, and, and then, no, like it's a salvation every day. It's, a, it's, an, it's not just the moment. The moment I got saved, I got in his wheelbarrow, he went across and back, and then I got out of the wheelbarrow. No, no, you're saying I'm in your wheelbarrow from here until eternity. I live a life in your wheelbarrow. I'm gonna invite my, my friend, Keith, Many of you know Keith Becker, and I said, hey, would you come, and th this will be the miracle, is, um, I said, would you come just take like three minutes, and <laughs> would you close for me, <laughs> I said, would you close for me, and, and bring this, and the, the worship team's going to come, but I'd like, I, I'd like us to just for, for a couple minutes hear just a fresh call to salvation, and then we're going to have a song and we're going to be able to listen, listen and, and put our heart before the Lord and say, Lord, what do we need to respond to? And we're going to have our altar team come right after that. But would you listen to Keith Becker as he calls us to salvation? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it'll necessarily be a call to salvation so much as just really uh, perhaps a fresh, fresh faith. Um, you know, I'm just sitting back there observing all that's gone on in this service. And um, I know for a lot of you, Guys like me tend to be these harsh, hammer, just critical spirit. But I just want to uh, observe things I watched in this service. Uh, Joanna came up and shared a little bit about her time with the Lord. And she made some, a statement that I think is really powerful. She said, you know, I said I want to do school for you, but... God wasn't doing it with her. And she refreshed in a way her faith. The Lord, I'm going to do this with you. And then Nye comes up and shares a story of giving. And how 4-H. You know, and I bet half those people that gave there were not giving out of their heart for Jesus Christ. But yet they gave. And Nye's going, and I, it challenged me to give with the right heart. And then Jen Hewen comes up. 
talks about being a gate and how some of our gates are broken and need restored. And then Jonathan comes up, and I observe people on their phones. And I know that the Bible doesn't read that fast. And I observe people falling asleep, or maybe they're praying. And it's not just people in their pews. It's not just people that sit. It's people on the worship team. And a man that comes up and calls us to this faith. And here we are this morning, and it is a miracle that it would be three minutes because it's long past that. But guys, the challenge is, are we going to be like Abraham? Are we going to be a man that trusted God when he's 80 and goes, I've seen it all. And I'm not going to do anything new up here this morning. We've seen it all. What trick can we do? What nail can we pound in someone's heart anymore? It, it has to be us as God's people saying, we want to passionately pursue. I don't want to just do it for you, God. I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you every step of the way. But, folks, you're going to have to. I mean, seriously. We're going to have to be honest about it. Do we come to church and just surf the net? Surf Facebook while he's preaching? Because we've heard it all before? Or do we take the words that each one brings and go, this is a genuine challenge to renew our faith? One thing that Jonathan did say that I, I want to just maybe leave us with, and for some of you maybe it is a, a first-time commitment to the Lord. But he said something, well, two things. He said, when was the last time that you did anything that required faith? Just anything. And, and don't take that to mean a mission trip. It could be. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a, a stepping across the line and, and witnessing to a neighbor. I mean, it doesn't have to be some crazy Africa thing. But I really want to challenge us this morning. When was the last time we just stepped out and said, God, I'm in the wheelbarrow. But here's the thing that Jonathan said that is so good. And I just want to leave us with this. And not get out. I'm in, Lord. And I'm not getting out. I, I am in because this is impossible without you. And I'm staying in. And maybe... If I could, I just want to pray that. Some of you this morning, you need to get in. Others of you have gotten in, but you get out, and you just go through the motions. I'm in on Sunday, Lord, but once Sunday's, God bless, I'm out on Monday. I did my church thing. But guys, I just want to challenge us. And when I say that, I mean us, me as well as Jonathan and the elders, all of us to take this journey of faith as Abraham did, believing it, and God counts us then as righteous. So, Father, I just want to ask this morning, all that you did in this service, all the people that came and shared, Lord, would you, God, give us a faith that is fresh and on fire. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for going through the motions. Lord, forgive 
all of us for not taking this serious at times. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would get in, get into your word. But Lord, we want to trust. We want to be in a place where it is absolutely impossible to do what you've called us to do unless you do it, Lord. So Father, would you take us this morning, each person personally on that journey of stepping out in faith, whatever it is. Lord, help us, God, to trust you. Even when we see it's rocky and the times are tough to not get out of the wheelbarrow. Lord, we know that you are faithful. As the song we sang earlier, you are faithful. And Lord, we trust you. Lord, help us, God, to have our faith completely and only in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we end the service here, uh, the, the altar workers... And I thought maybe we'd do something a little bit different. We're so used to them coming forward. And I want to ask the altar workers, would you just maybe go to the side? There's no magic thing in necessarily coming forward if you need prayer, but perhaps you would be more comfortable just going to the side. So if you're all right, altar workers, if maybe a couple of you would just go to the edges. And if you need prayer and you're wrestling with this and God spoke to you and stirred in you anything, we want to let the altar workers... Uh, just pray with you to wrestle through with it. If you need to leave, of course, God bless. Feel free. We're going to stand together as the worship team leads us in one final song. <laughs>